that was beautiful. I just like stood here and there was a choir that came across the room. Welcome. It's fantastic to see you here this morning. Thank you for being here. My name is Jenny. Uh, Simon and I lead this community. Many of you know that, but if you don't, um, it's just a privilege to see you this morning. If you're wondering where Simon is, he um, has been in Melbourne this week and then Air New Zealand helpfully cancelled his flight last night. So he's stranded in Melbourne. We're yet unsure when he's going to return. So um, your prayers about that would be much appreciated. (laughs) Oh dear. It's been a week. It's been a week. But the title of my message today is um, Be Strong and Courageous Because God is With You. And I shared with the team this morning in pre-service prayer like this message is for me this morning. I've lived this this week as I've prepared and Simon being stuck in Melbourne and sickness and a trip to ED yesterday and all sorts of things have contributed actually to me being able to bring this message authentically to you today and say, (laughs) be strong and courageous because God is with you. And If you know your Bible, you might be confused because Karen said earlier that we're speaking from the last section of Hebrews this morning and you might be aware that it doesn't say this in Hebrews. Actually, be strong and courageous is from Joshua, but I'm not confused, so don't worry. We are looking at Hebrews today and bear with me because I think we're going to be encouraged this morning. So, But I just want to start with a story and it's a story about when I was 21 years old and much braver and more daring than I am today. And I was in Brazil. I lived in Brazil for a little while. I did mission work there. And um, towards the end of the mission time, I did a holiday and I, and I was in Rio, which, by the way, if you've never been to, is one of the most incredible cities on the planet. But looks quite a lot like Wellington in some ways. Um, so I was in Rio and I saw this hang gliding adventure trip advertised. And it was hang gliding from the mountain sides of Rio. You got to glide down and um, see all the um, slums and the houses. And you got to land on the beautiful, sandy Ipanema Beach. And I thought, yes, that's what I want to do. And so we got in a jeep and we went up the mountainside and we got to where the hang gliding adventure was going to begin. And I still remember it really clearly, 21 years old, arriving for our briefing. And um, we kind of split off to our different instructors and my instructor began to brief me on what was about to happen. And I remember there being a lot of instructions and it was quite serious. You know, you need to do this, you need to do this, definitely don't do this, don't do this. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm beginning to wonder whether this is such a good idea after all. It's going to be me and a frame and kind of these flimsy sails and the ground beneath us, and is this really a great idea? And I remember one part of the briefing really clearly, and he said this to me. Now, this is really important because we're taking off from a cliff rather than running down a hill to take off. He said, in order to take off from a cliff, we're going to run, and the run-up isn't very long, but the really important thing is when you get to the edge of the ground, don't jump. You need to just keep running. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. And I still don't know to this day what would have happened if I'd jumped. I still don't know what the bad thing that was going to happen was, but um, I was terrified. And I was thinking, what have I got myself into? 
But then he began kitting me out and he put my harness on and I got my helmet and um, he got the equipment ready and he got his harness on and then the final step was attaching me to my instructor and to the hang glider and we ran and I didn't jump and the ground ran out and I kept running and then we were flying and it was an incredible experience as we soared over the slums and the million dollar houses with pools and we flew around and we landed on Ipanema Beach. Why is this story relevant? You may be wondering. Well, when we got ready to go, there was nothing about my own ability that I was confident in. But what I was confident in was the, the quality of the equipment that he had kitted me out in. And what I was confident in was the knowledge and the experience of my instructor. So my confidence that day was not in myself, but it was in the one who was preparing me and the one who was going with me. And that's really a great picture of what our passage today is talking about. And when we think about being strong and courageous because God is with us. You see, sometimes when, when we're given instructions and they're complicated or they're important or they're significant, it can feel overwhelming. And sometimes it can make us feel a bit inadequate. When I think about the series that we've been going through in Hebrews that's been called A Better Way to Live... <laughs> We've heard a lot about what this better way to live looks like and it makes me wonder whether these readers of this letter felt a bit overwhelmed and a bit inadequate and wondering how on earth am I going to live up to this standard and I wonder whether you felt like that a little bit along this way, whether you felt challenged and wondering how on earth am I going to live this life that Jesus is calling me to live. Some of the things that we've heard about in this series, um, the first message was, if faith is a race, am I running like I mean it? The passage talks about throwing off sin and running the race with endurance. It says to consider Jesus and keep going in suffering because it's discipline, not punishment. We're told to strive for peace, to strive for holiness, to don't let anyone fall short of grace, to not let a root of bitterness spring up, to make sure no one is sexually immoral, to make sure that we keep brotherly love and hospitality going. We've been told that we need to let marriage be honoured by all, that we need to keep free from the love of money and be content, that we need to imitate those who've gone before us and have finished well. And I need to at the same time consider is my life worth imitating? And then last week, Danny talked to us about going outside the camp and giving up a sacrifice of praise. This series has been so practical. It's talked about so much that we should expect to be present in our lives, a description of what this life of following Jesus should look like. But when I think about all those things, I don't know about you, I think, wow, how can we live up to this great standard? How can we do this? And I think our passage today is just what we need to hear at the end of this description of what this life following Jesus looks like. It's an encouragement to us today. So let's read the passage. It's um, Hebrews 13, verse 20 to 25. It's up on the screen. Oh, I should have found my place. It says this, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. If he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. It's great, isn't it? I love this. This is a real letter written to real people with real um, finishings that we would expect to see from a letter. But this is an encouragement to us this morning. So let me pray and then we're going to unpack what I think God might be saying to us today. Father, I thank you for these words that we find in the Bible that were written um, so long ago, but God still explained to us a bit of who you are and how you want to work in our lives, Lord, how you want to um, be honoured, how you're going to be glorified through the way that we live. And so I pray today that you would speak to us. I pray that you'd use me that you'd help me to share the words that you've laid on my heart. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to what you're saying. Lord, make us soft-hearted to what you want to do in our lives today. So we give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you look in your Bible, I don't know what the title of this section says in your Bible, but in mine it says benediction and farewell. And benediction is a funny word, isn't it? it? It really just means a prayer of divine blessings. So it's a prayer that God would bless the readers of this letter. And so I love that um, in the final part of the letter, that's what the writer chooses to do, to pray to God for a blessing on these readers. And I think it's a special thing. Lots of the writers in the New Testament do it. They pray a blessing over the readers. And I think there's an obvious reason why that's a great thing, because it's always a good thing to pray a blessing, isn't it? Because God hears those words, and he answers that prayer, and he hears those words for those readers, but also for us, and so God is working this out in our lives. But I think it's also great, these prayers are also great for another reason, and the reason is because we get to hear the words as well. So not only does God hear these words and answer this prayer, but we hear the words and when we hear the words, it communicates to us, ah, oh, this is the part that I can expect God to play. This is the part that I can expect God to play in this whole picture. You know, as we embark on this journey of following Jesus, this is what I can expect God to be doing in the midst of all of that. You know, I think this is like the moment when I was attached to my qualified hang gliding instructor, where we're feeling overwhelmed by the instructions, but we realize, oh, there's someone who's so capable and so more qualified than I am, and he's going to play his part in this picture. And so that's an encouragement for me today as we look into that. And the first encouragement that I think it gives us, sorry, I've got hair like hanging on my shoulder, and it's irritating. Um, the first thing that's an encouragement, I think, is um, the way this writer addresses God. Listen to these words. He says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The God of peace, who brought up Jesus from the dead. Can you hear that? He brought up Jesus from the dead. I think we get numb to these words because we talk about it every week. But can you hear how massive that is? 
He's praying to the God who brought up Jesus from the dead. Jesus who was crucified on a cross and buried in a tomb, God brought him up from the dead. That's the God who is answering this prayer this morning, this prayer for us. And you know, I don't know where you're from this morning. I don't know what your beliefs are. I don't know what you think about church and I don't know what you think about Jesus. But if you go away with one message this morning, I want you to go away with this message. God brought Jesus up from the dead. And that is an incredible truth. And the reason it's an incredible truth is because what it means for us. You see, Hebrews is this book that has been persuading us of the um, superiority of Jesus Christ. It's been persuading the readers, don't go back to your old ways of Judaism of your old beliefs your old rituals because Jesus is the better way and actually this life that he has for you is the better way and so this is like the writer's final persuasion that Jesus is the real deal the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is evidence that his sacrifice was acceptable to God Jesus willingly came, he lived a perfect life and he offered his life in substitution for us, for us who were imperfect and who were not able to be a sacrifice for ourselves because we weren't worthy. He was able to do that and so the fact that God raised him for the dead, it was proof that his sacrifice was acceptable. His death and his resurrection is what established this new covenant, this new promise, this new agreement between people and God. You see, if there's no covenant, if there's no promise or agreement between us and God, then this is a waste of time. If God hasn't actually said, yeah, Jesus was an acceptable substitute, then we can't come near to God. We can't be made right. We can't be in relationship with him. We can't know what it is to walk with him. But because Jesus was raised from the dead, we know he was an acceptable sacrifice. That covenant is established and he's proof of that. And so we can be encouraged by that this morning. Jesus is the real deal. There is a promise. He ratified the agreement and we can fully rely on and trust on it because it's guaranteed. But then the writer talks about Jesus as um, the great shepherd of the sheep. And a shepherd is a picture right through the Bible. Famously, I think probably most famously in in Psalm 23 is where we really know the words of um, God relating to his people as a shepherd. And Jews would have been really familiar with this concept as as, um, the way that God describes himself. But they also knew that God had promised that actually ultimately he would shepherd his people. That there were many leaders who had gone before that God called shepherds who had failed God's people, who had not done a good job. And God said, ultimately I will be your shepherd. And so when Jesus came and in John 10, 11, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is directly linking himself to God. God had made this promise that he would shepherd his people and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. That's me. But it makes me wonder, the writer has used lots of descriptions of Jesus throughout Hebrews and one of the more prominent ones probably has been Jesus as the great high priest. 
And so it's interesting to me then that in these final few lines of a letter that the writer would bring this whole new idea in, this whole new picture of who Jesus is. And so it makes me think this is significant here. And when we look into what a shepherd is, well, if you Google what Jesus as a shepherd is, I've put a picture on the screen. You'd often come up with something like that. You know, Jesus is the good shepherd. It's quite serene. He's often carrying a lamb. You know, there's a nice sunset or sunrise. I'm not sure how you tell. You know, there's a calm river. There's green grass. Looks beautiful, doesn't it? It makes me think, I could be a shepherd. I could do that. All the sheep are gathered round. They're all doing what they should be doing. Jesus is there in the middle of them. But I think the reality of shepherding is quite different to this picture. And so I think actually Jesus as a good shepherd is quite different to probably the picture that we have sometimes. Um, I've been reading this book. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Um, I'd recommend it. It's really eye-opening. It's a book written by a guy who was a real-life shepherd and a real-life pastor, and he unpacks the verses of Psalm 23. And I've learned some things about shepherding as I've read this book. And um, one of the things I've learned is, in Psalm 23, it says, you make me lie down in green pastures. And I've learned from this book that actually for a sheep to lie down, it has to be free from any discomfort or fear or anything. A a sheep has to be totally content to, to lie down. And so actually that statement there in Psalm 23 is quite profound. You make me lie down. It means that the shepherd has taken care of every need of that sheep. It's a profound thing, isn't it? That's our shepherd, the good shepherd. He takes care of every need of the sheep. But the other profound thing in that verse is, you make me lie down in green pastures. Shepherding in those times was done in arid land. It was dry and hot. There was not a lot of green grass around in that time. And so if there were green pastures, it would have meant either the shepherd had taken a long journey with his sheep up into the mountains where there was green pasture, or the shepherd had worked really, really hard to cultivate that green pasture. And I found that so eye-opening because it gives me a contrasting picture to that picture we looked at just before of this shepherd standing and chilling out with his sheep to actually a shepherd who is working tirelessly day and night to care for his sheep. And even to the point that he would provide a green pasture for them to lie down, down in. That's the shepherd that we're talking about this morning and that's the shepherd that we come to this morning and you know the words of my title today as I mentioned before are from a passage in Joshua 1 you know be strong and courageous for God is with you in that passage Moses had just died Moses had been shepherding that nation and Joshua was now taking the reins and I imagine Joshua was feeling a bit freaked out probably like we've been talking about today with lots of instructions in his mind and wondering how on earth am I going to do this and God says in that context be strong and courageous and the reason is God is with you and I think the whole reason the writer brings the great shepherd into this context is he wants to know he wants us to know the extent to which God is with us 
God isn't just with us when we cry out and say, help, I've got myself in trouble. The shepherd is absolutely committed to the welfare and the care of his sheep. He doesn't take his eyes off of them. And that's the shepherd that we have leading us today. You know, God goes an extra step though with us. He doesn't just say he's going to be with us. The writer could have finished this letter with, now go and take all of these instructions and write them all over your walls, memorize them, work really, really hard to get really good at doing this stuff. And if you make a mistake, get up and try harder. He could have said that to the readers. But actually the way he finished this letter was, may God equip you with everything good to do his will. Working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. That word equip, it's not about teaching theory. It's not about um, telling lots of rules. It's a practical word. It's about putting tools in your hand. That's what this prayer is, that God would equip you practically with all you need to do God's will. And then he also says, working in us. You know, this is an ongoing thing. It's not like the day you come to Jesus, God goes, there you go, you're finished. But it's a commitment to a journey of him equipping you to do his will, but working in you, what does it say? Working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. He's giving you everything in your hands that you need, and he's transforming you from the inside But what does that look like in reality? It's easy for us to say that here on a Sunday, isn't it? But what does it look like day to day? Well, some of the experience I have had of how God equips us, I want to share with you this morning. And the first thing, these aren't surprising things. I'm not going to tell you anything new this morning. This is not new information. The first way God equips us is through the Bible, his word. It's been here for thousands of years, and it continues to be a significant tool that God uses to equip us. I want to share something with you this morning though. I was given this as a gift a few weeks ago. It's a Bible. It's enormous. And the reason it's enormous is because it's a journaling Bible. So between every page, there's a whole blank page. So it's like double the thickness of, of what a Bible would normally be. And the reason I bought it to share with you today was, you know, like many of you, I'm sure have been in this place at some point, maybe are even in this place right now. I had got into a habit of opening my Bible and reading the passages that I needed to read. And, you know, it was a bit hit and miss sometimes. Sometimes I would get something that was an encouragement. Other times it was really just a slog, just ticking a box for the day. I'm just being honest with you. And It sounds really stupid, but when I started using this Bible and reading my Bible with a pen in my hand and a blank sheet of paper next to what I was reading, it changed my expectation about what was going to happen when I read the Bible. And the number of pages in here now that have my notes over them because having an expectation that this word was going to change my life actually meant it did change my life. It meant that I did hear God. It meant that I did see new insight. It meant that I did learn new things. And even this morning as I opened it, you know, I've got notes in here. God spoke to me. He encouraged me that I was on the right lines with my message this morning. He encouraged me with a word that was relevant for me today, that was going to be an encouragement, that was going to equip me to do his will today. I want to encourage you. 
If you're reading your Bible to tick a box, how about reading your Bible with an expectation that God might want to speak to you? Maybe if you're not reading your Bible, how about begin opening it knowing that God wants to equip you? And maybe only one word will speak to you, or maybe only one sentence, but that's okay because God wants to equip you through the Bible today. The second thing I want to talk about is the Holy Spirit. He is in you. When you made a commitment to follow Jesus, the Bible says he pours his spirit into you. He fills you with his spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers you. He gives you gifts, those useful things to help us to follow Jesus well. He produces fruit in you. The Bible talks about fruit of the spirit being love and joy and peace and patience and all those other things that don't come that naturally to us. The Holy Spirit is working those things in our lives. He's strengthening you. He's encouraging you. He's comforting you. He's convicting you. The Holy Spirit is doing all of those things. But I was challenged as I was preparing that. How much do I lean in and listen to what he's actually trying to do in me? You know, I've, I've had um, a challenging week this week, and I know in the context of what lots of other people have been going through, it hasn't been anything. It's really just been a blip. But for me, it's been challenging. I've been sick. Um, you know, Jess injured herself. Simon's been away. I've been preparing a message, and I always find the week leading up to preaching a challenging week. And so it's been challenging for me. And the place I go to when I feel like that, when I feel like I don't have enough to give here, the place I go is on my knees and I say, God, I know you've called me. I know I'm where you want me to be. And, and I can't do this. And this might be a surprise to you that I feel like this. But I do regularly. I feel like I can't do this. And God, I need you to equip me. And every time he does, every time. And if that's a surprise to you this morning, I'm sorry, but I believe this is the way it should be. God never said that I would be able to do this in my own strength. The place he wants me to be is on my knees, asking for him to help me. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that is not a place that you go to regularly, go there. Tell God, you can't do this. Because do you know what? You can't do this. In your own strength, you cannot live this life that Jesus is calling you to live because this is hard. It's hard to follow Jesus today. It's different to what the rest of the world is doing. We need to be on our knees asking God to equip us. And I think I've been convicted this week. Sometimes I push the Holy Spirit into a box and say, you can just come out when I think I need you. But actually, the Holy Spirit is desperate to be working in our lives every moment of every day whispering to us, leading us, challenging us, empowering us, equipping us, convicting us. The third way that I think God equips us is through other believers. You know, we talked already today about how life groups are something that's so important. We believe in that here, that other people in this community are going to be a blessing to you as you figure out this walk with Jesus, but actually you're going to be a blessing to others as well. We can teach each other, we can encourage each other, we can learn from each other. It's why we have preaching on a Sunday, because we believe that actually you know, someone else might have an insight that's helpful for you. Hopefully I've had insights as I've studied this message that are helpful for you this morning. As we put ourselves in this place of learning and hearing that actually it's going to equip us. Um, there's all sorts of different things. This is why conference next week is going to be so incredible, because we're going with a, 
with an intentionality to hear from someone who is doing something better than we're doing right now. Doug Pollock, I, I met for coffee with him with Nick and Sarah on Friday morning. I was with him for an hour and he inspired me. And he encouraged me. Just an hour with him, I felt equipped to do something different to how, how I've been doing things. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not already signed up for next Sunday, be there. He's, he's going to encourage us. He's going to equip us with things that we don't already have in our lives. You know, there's an emphasis right here at the end of this letter on God giving us all we need to follow Jesus. And I think it's because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And I say that because God knows that we have a tendency to think, I can do this. You know, I've got this. I can follow Jesus. I can do all the things I need to do. And he knows that when we do that, we're going to get it wrong. And then we're going to get disheartened. And then we're going to feel like, oh, I can't do this. And maybe I should give up. I think that's why he finishes the letter like this. He wants us to remember, I never even asked you to do this on your own. It was never an expectation. Because God says, I will equip you with everything you need to do my will. I will work in you what is pleasing in my sight. I want you to be encouraged in that this morning because the way you live matters. We can't get away from that. I think sometimes we're satisfied with being an admirer of Jesus. That we would stand back and say, you know what, Jesus, you're awesome. You died and I believe you did that. But I'm not willing for my life to change as a result. And maybe there's even people here today. Maybe you come to church every week as an admirer of Jesus, as someone that says, yeah, Jesus, you're awesome. But I don't want my life to change as a result of that. Whereas actually what we're about at the street, and I believe what God is about, is helping people become total followers of Jesus, not admirers of Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, that our lives would look different. And our lives actually would begin to look a lot like has been described in the pages of this book of Hebrews. Not as a list of rules, but as a measure of, um, of how we're going. Of what God still needs to do in us. We're called to be followers of Jesus, not admirers of Jesus. And he finishes this whole letter by urging them to receive this message of exhortation or encouragement. I love it that he says, um, what's he say? Something like, can you bring the next thing up? I've written to you briefly. I'd hate to know what a long letter from this writer looked like. But I think he's saying like, there was a whole lot more I could have written to you. <laughs> there was lots more I could have said. Um, but he's encouraging us to receive this message of encouragement this morning. It made me think about me on that mountainside with my hand gliding instructor. You know, if I'd stood back and admired the equipment and said, oh yeah, that's really great, and admired the instructor for his experience and knowledge and ability and said, that's really great, but I hadn't received any of it for myself, as I ran off the side of that mountain, it would have been a very different picture, wouldn't it? Because actually this, this morning, is only helpful for us if we receive it, if we take it on, if we put it into our lives, if we allow it to change us, if we allow it to change our attitudes and our practices and our habits and the way that we approach God, then actually it's going to make a difference in us. So I want to encourage you this morning to receive this in whatever way you're feeling challenged to receive it today. Receive it. 
And then the final words, and these are really important, and this is significant. He finishes the whole letter with grace be with you all. Karen started this morning off with grace. This is all about grace. If you don't know what grace is, it literally means the undeserved favour of God towards man. It means that God would be perfectly within his rights to have turned his back on us and said, I'm not having anything to do with you. God is a perfect, sinless God and we are people who stuff up every day. But grace says when God looks at us and sees lives stuffed up with sin, grace says, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son to die for you. That's what grace says to us today. There's not a single one of us in here that has done anything good enough to be loved by God. Not because not because he hasn't made us good, he has made us good, but we don't deserve God's favour. Grace says that he gives it to us as a free gift. And the whole message of this letter is that we wouldn't walk away and miss that. That we wouldn't walk away and think, I can do this myself, I can earn God's favour, I can be good enough. But actually we would walk away from here today in wonder again at the goodness of God that he would give his son so that we could know him, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with him. It's the best gift that we will ever be given. And so the message of Hebrews is don't miss out on it, don't reject it. You can't make yourself good, good enough for God and you can't just pick Jesus to sort out your sin and live the rest of your life the way you want to. Actually, God wants the whole of you. God wants your whole heart. He wants your whole life. He wants us to be followers of Jesus, not just admirers of Jesus. And he's going to equip us to do everything that we need to do in order to do that. He wants us to be strong and courageous, not because we've learnt a lot and are going to be okay now, but because God is with us. Can I invite the worship team back up? Um, we're going we're gonna to finish in communion in a moment. And the reason I want us to finish in communion today is... If you're not familiar with what communion is, it's, the, it's when we take bread and we take juice and it's a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And the reason it's a powerful picture is it's a communication of grace. It's a reminder to us today that you are so valuable and of so much worth to God that he would send Jesus for you. And that should make us celebrate today. That should make us excited today. It, would, it should cause us to worship God today like we haven't done before. But I want to encourage you this morning, if you've, if you've never received that gift of grace before, you know, I don't know who you are, I don't know who's sat here, and maybe, maybe you feel challenged today that you have kept Jesus at arm's length. You've said, I admire you, Jesus, but I'm not interested in my life looking different. I want to encourage you as we take communion to come and say yes to Jesus this morning and say yes to being a follower of him and not just standing from afar and admiring him. But I also want to encourage you this morning to use this space you know, as we take communion, as we worship, that you'd use this space to respond, to respond to what Jesus has been speaking to you about this morning, 
Maybe he's been encouraging you. Maybe he's convicted you about something. Maybe you're going away from today knowing something needs to change. I want to encourage you to make a commitment to God this morning to do that as we take communion. You know, be thankful that we are not trying to earn our way into relationship with God this morning, but he does care what our lives look like. Because actually our, living our lives for him brings him glory. And it demonstrates to the world around us who God is, doesn't it? So would you stand with me? I'm going to pray. If you're on the prayer team this morning, as you take communion, I'd love it if you could just come and um, sit on the front row. Just, And then if there's anyone that does want prayer this morning, we've got a prayer team here who are ready to pray with you. If you're a, um, if you're a life group leader, you could do that as well. Maybe just come and take communion and then come and stay down the front so you're ready to pray with people. Let me just pray for us as we go into worship. Jesus, I thank you. Thank you so much for the sacrifice you made for us. I thank you for the reality and the um, guarantee of the covenant that we stand on this morning, that because of you, Jesus, we are made right with God. God, I thank you for the words that we've heard this morning, that actually you are going to equip us with everything good to do your will, that you are working in us everything that you want to be in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd make us um, aware of that today. I pray that you'd make us willing participants in that today. Lord, I pray that you'd soften our hearts today towards you. I pray that if we've had areas of our lives that have been closed off to you, I pray that you would um, break down those walls today. Lord, I pray that we'd be people who are fully surrendered to you so that we would be fully equipped to live this life that you're calling us to. And so yeah, as we take communion now, I pray that you would reveal more of yourself to us Lord give us a Lord just a bigger heart of worship and love towards you this morning would we worship you um, from the depths of ourselves because we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done for us so we pray for the rest of our time now that you've been moving in Jesus name Amen <laughs>